When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Our story today is called The Secrets of Skinwalker Ranch, Past and Present. This 512-acre ranch in Utah, which has been called the Meyer Ranch and the Sherman Ranch in the past, is today commonly called Skinwalker Ranch, and is the subject of a very popular ongoing TV series on the History Channel. The name Skinwalker alone summons up fear of the unknown, the kind of fear that makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. It's an old Navajo word, which, as I understand, isn't spoken by them any more than Harry Potter's bunch were likely to say the word Voldemort. It's so evil that the mention of the name is prohibited in their culture. The Navajo word for Skinwalker, if I'm getting it right, is Ne'el Duhushi, which translates to, It goes on all fours. There are several varieties of this being in Navajo culture. Again, as I understand it, the Navajo have medicine men who mostly practice good works, but a very few of them also go to the dark side and practice evil magic, and these people the Navajo call witches. According to legend, they are able to change their forms into animals, and the most frequent animal of legend is a large wolf. Skinwalker Ranch in New Mexico is what some people call the number one hotspot in the U.S. for paranormal activity, including UFOs, strange deaths of livestock, off-the-charts magnetic anomalies, strange lights, orbs, and creatures that apparently don't come from this earth. The History Channel is currently featuring Season 4 of a widely popular series titled The Secrets of Skinwalker Ranch, and we'll share all we can tell you about that show and their efforts to unlock the strangeness out there, beginning with the history of Skinwalker Ranch itself. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. Saddle up, listeners. We're headed for New Mexico. Skinwalker Ranch, also known as Sherman Ranch, is located in Uintah County, Utah, just southeast of Ballard, Utah. It's currently owned by Brandon Fugel, one of the prominent businessmen and real estate developers in the Intermountain West. For the past seven years or so, he has made it his personal mission to find out what's causing all the bizarre phenomena that's going on there, from unexplained livestock deaths to UFO sightings, many of them, to magnetic anomalies, to portals into which moving objects appear and disappear, and all kinds of paranormal events. Our government spent years investigating Skinwalker Ranch, and the results of that investigation have not been made public. We are going to start with the history of Skinwalker Ranch to sort of immerse you in the country, 
"'so you can get a feel for the topography, "'the people, and the history.' The Skinwalker Ranch lays within the Uintah Basin in the northeast corner of Utah, bordered on the north by the Uintah Mountains, on the south by the Tavaputs Plateau, on the west by the Wasatch Range, and on the east by elevated terrain which separates it from the Pysons Basin in Colorado. The whole area is rich in minerals, uranium, phosphate, gold, copper, and coal, and probably other minerals that nobody's talking about. The Utes and the Uri Indians currently inhabit the Uintah, although sparsely. There is a small Uri Indian reservation bordering the ranch. There is a large Navajo reservation in the southeast corner of the state, which accounts for the spreading of the Skinwalker legend. Way back in the mid-19th century, Brigham Young established a Mormon settlement on what one day would become the grounds of Skinwalker Ranch. He had originally sent a survey team to see if the Uintah Basin could provide enough habitable land for settlers. Most of the region was declared a vast contiguity of waste and, quote, was valueless except for nomadic purposes, hunting grounds for Indians, and to hold the world together. They made their first foray into the region around 1861, abandoned it for a while, and then came back stronger in the 1880s. And that's all I know about them. The first notable mention of anything strange occurring at Skinwalker came in 1951 when Junior Hicks, a science professor at the University of Utah, was then the first to gather evidence of paranormal events happening at the ranch. He and a group of students witnessed what could only be described as a UFO over the ranch. About 30 of his students claimed to see a classic cigar-shaped UFO flying over them in broad daylight. What they saw that day inspired Junior Hicks to do some local digging to see if others had experienced strange phenomena in and around the ranch. Actually, in addition to collecting reports of strange objects in the sky, he ended up by getting a lot of reports about the presence of skinwalkers, strange animals, looking like part dog, part wolf, part coyote, and large, with glowing red eyes, animals that seemed impervious to bullets. These reports came from the local Indians who identified the whole area as being the path of the skinwalker. He eventually published his findings in a book called The Utah UFO Display, and this was the first book that linked skinwalkers with the UFO phenomenon. What we know today as being the skinwalker ranch was mentioned, but the report really covered much of the Uintah Basin and didn't focus on the skinwalker ranch, which was then the Meyer Ranch. The first owners of the Skinwalker Ranch were Kenneth John Myers and Edith Child Myers. They purchased 160 acres back in 1933 and added more through the years. They left no oral or written account of any paranormal occurrences. Kenneth passed away in 1987, and Edith lived there alone until her death, March 3, 1994. Their quiet lives are mentioned often by skeptics who believe that nothing unusual has happened there, despite the actual filmed proof offered by recent investigations on the History Channel, which is moving into Season 4 as I write this. Kenneth Meyer's younger brother Garth inherited the property and sold it to Terry and Gwen Sherman, who were surprised to find locks and deadbolts all throughout the ranch house. There were locks on the insides and outsides of doors, windows, and strangely, even closets. The home had no children. The question which arose to the newcomers was, who or what were the Meyers trying to keep out? or in the case of the closet, keep in. It wasn't long after the Shermans bought the ranch that paranormal events began to happen. Terry Sherman was hard at work in one of the fields surrounding the ranch house when he spotted something out of the corner of his eye. 
"'he turned to focus in on what looked like a large dog in the distance, "'coming from a line of trees. "'As it walked toward him, he saw that it was a huge, wolfish-looking creature. "'Terry moved out of the field and closer to the ranch house and corral and his truck. "'His son Ted then joined him, watching, as the animal trotted right out in front of them. "'The huge animal seemed peaceful and came close enough to pet. "'Terry even reached out a hand and petted its back, but only for a brief moment.' before it raced toward the cattle pen, stuck its jaws through an opening, and clamped its huge jaw on the head of a calf. It then tried to pull the calf through the opening in the cattle pen, causing a tremendous commotion in the pen. Terry ran to where the attack was happening and landed several hard blows on the creature's ribs, but they had no effect. Tad had grabbed a baseball bat, which he threw to his dad, and he began beating the animal with that, while at the same time yelling at Tad to get his gun out of his truck. All this while the wolf dog seemed immune to the beating it was receiving from Terry. Ted handed the gun to his dad, and he started pouring three fifty-seven Magnum slugs into the creature. The blasts were not only not affecting the creature, but Terry could see no wounds on the animal's surface, at least with the first three shots. At the fourth shot, at point-blank range, the wolf gave up his hold on the calf's head and turned and stared at Terry, who was now yelling for his shotgun. His son handed him the shotgun, and this time the thud of the impact could be heard as the 12-gauge slug tore through the creature's shoulder. The creature turned toward Terry and he fired again, this time the slug ripping a hole in the creature's chest. This time gouts of blood poured out, but the creature turned and slowly trotted back to the tree line, disappearing in the undergrowth. Knowing that a wounded wolf could be a danger to any of them or their livestock, father and son followed the beast into the woods, but soon lost sight of it. There were tracks, but they soon disappeared in what appeared to be mid-stride. The family was shaken, but soon recovered and began work as normal, until the day Gwen Sherman, Terry's wife, spotted the wolf again as she drove up toward the ranch house. It was keeping pace with her truck, and she sped up, and it continued to keep pace. At one point it was running at an uncanny speed with her car before turning off. Now she was worried for their livestock, Anything this big and fast could harm livestock. She went to the Office of Tribal Affairs in Fort Duchesne, where she related a mild version of what had happened to her family. They looked at her in bewilderment, and then said that the last wolf in the area had been killed in 1929, so what she had seen must have been a stray dog or a coyote. She gave up talking to the Office of Tribal Affairs. Not long after that, one night, Terry, who was outside on the property with his son and nephew, saw what looked like the headlights of a parked RV in the distance, and the three walked toward the lights. It began to back away from them as they walked toward it. Then they broke into a run, and the vehicle's headlights raised to about ten feet off the ground, and then moved to a spot further away. Terry knew it could back up only so far, because behind it there was a grove of olive trees and a barbed wire fence. As they got closer, the vehicle lifted silently, hovering, and then flew right over the tops of the trees. They then got a clearer look at it, and it looked like an oversized refrigerator, with one light shining in front and a red beacon on its back. A few weeks later it showed up again, and this time in a way that Terry's wife could get a good look at it. Same description. Except she could see that there was a window into it, and there was a figure behind the window. It was parked in such a way that it seemed to be watching the ranch house. Now Terry began to wonder if this strange object wasn't a product of our military, 
because it sure didn't fit the usual description of any UFOs. He researched and found that a similar experimental craft had been developed by our military at Area 51, not too far from the ranch, and was now declassified. It was called Tacit Blue. It was described as resembling a flying refrigerator. So maybe the military was involved, but that didn't account for the wolf. Things got crazier. Strange crafts were seen, and the ranch was being observed by something or someone. The Shermans got rattled. The final straw came one day when one of the strange blue orbs, which Terry and his family had been witnessing all around the ranch, came close to their dogs. Callisto up to tempt one of them to bite it. But when the dog's jaw closed, it darted just out of reach. It then began to tease all three dogs, tempting them to chase it. Once the dogs were thoroughly infuriated, it led them on a chase toward the trees to the south of the ranch. Once they were out of sight, Terry heard what could only be howls of pain coming from the woods. He ran toward and into the woods, and reaching the clearing, smelled the incense of death, and saw three piles of incinerated dog flesh on the forest floor. That was the end of the road for the Shermans. In 1996, they broke their silence about what had happened to them at the ranch, and the Deseret News ran a story on their experiences. The story garnered the attention of Las Vegas billionaire businessman Robert Bigelow. He had made his fortune as owner of the Budget Suites hotel chain, and he was very interested in the world of the paranormal. One year before that article hit, he had found that a paranormal research organization called the National Institute for Discovery Science, called NIDS. He was intrigued by the Sherman Ranch story and offered to buy the property, closing the deal in September of 1996. The Shermans bought another ranch 20 miles away, and Terry volunteered to work for NIDS to become an extra ranch hand and to assist in investigations being carried out by the research team at the ranch. One of his first tasks was to look into a series of cattle mutilations that were taking place now at the ranch. Cattle mutilations had been going on in the region since the 60s. Cattle were found dead with no markings or tracks of predators, often with their blood having been somehow totally removed. The anus, genitals, and tongue appeared to have been removed expertly, as if with a surgeon's scalpel. This pattern continued. Security cameras were installed, and observation was set up, but nothing was found until January 21, 1997, when Terry discovered young cows near the observation center with strange wounds to their eyes and ears, identical wounds on both. The injury seemed to have occurred during a bad snowstorm the night before. It looked as though they had survived a mutilation by sheer luck, maybe something having to do with the snowstorm. There were no predator tracks in the snow anywhere around them. I have read in other accounts the theory that some kind of a hovering craft can approach cattle, grab them by the snout, and pull them up into the craft where their organs and their blood are removed, and then drop it back down in the field from which they came. To many, that seems to be the only answer for these cattle mutilations, but of course, it's crazy. What kind of craft could do that, and why? It does make you think. But these mutilations have taken place in a lot more places than the Skinwalker Ranch, and they're well documented. Terry called two vets to diagnose where the injuries might have come from, and one didn't offer any ideas. The other suggested a coyote or a wildcat might have done it. The idea of a big cat attacking two calves during a snowstorm struck Terry as being very, very unlikely, and there were no prints in the snow to indicate that predators did it. These vets had both seen cattle mutilations before and had a grab bag of excuses available, 
none of which made any sense. Then the unknown predator struck a calf in broad daylight on the ranch. Looking at the calf's body, it appeared to have been torn apart by some tremendous force. One leg had been ripped off right at the joint, like someone would pull a leg off a rotisserie chicken. All its internal organs had been removed with laser precision. It was completely drained of blood, and one ear was neatly severed from the head. There was no ripping or tearing near the incision, making it clear that it had been done with a precision instrument. No animal tracks were seen near the body. Nids now had a real and active paranormal predator. Terry advised the Nids researchers not to use fixed cameras, as whatever was causing these unusual disturbances seemed to have the ability to sense that it was being watched either by humans or by cameras. But Nids replied by asking, how are we ever going to get any proof of his existence without filming it? Good question. And the debate wore on, with nothing appearing anywhere near cameras. One night, three of six cameras set in a specific area were dismantled. The wires and guts ripped out. Video from the other cameras didn't show any activity near those cameras. The cameras stood on 15-foot poles. There's an interesting side story to this. A teenager named Skinner had been out driving with his girlfriend when he saw orbs flying around, the same color and behavior as those described by Terry at the ranch. As he returned from this encounter, he found that he had been passing through the vicinity of the ranch at that time, and he began to make frequent night trips out to the ranch property. One night, he was hidden on a ridge and watching when the orbs appeared over the cattle grazing below. The surrounding ranch lighting began to flicker out. Soon, a ranch guard came crashing out of his station making a beeline for the transformer. As Skinner watched, one of the balls of light that had been hanging over the cattle moved over and behind the guard as he was working on the transformer, as if it was watching him. After the guard went inside, it seemed to hover over the guard shack as if deciding what to do. Then it raced off to join the other orbs hanging over the cattle. The story seems to show that there was some kind of intelligence guiding these orbs, either their own intelligence or that of a remote director, just as we guide drones. Many theories arise. Maybe Skinwalker Ranch was the test site for a massive military psyops program. Maybe it was being mined for rare minerals by our military or by extraterrestrials. Maybe Skinwalker Ranch contains a portal through which alien craft and creatures travel. All just maybes. Hotel owner and Bigelow Aerospace owner Robert Bigelow ended the NIDS operation of Skinwalker Ranch in 2004. A few years later, Bigelow began receiving government grants for research there through the courtesy of the U.S. government and Harry Reid. In 2017, it was discovered that Bigelow was involved in a secret government program ordered by the Pentagon. That program provided 22 million tax dollars between 2007 and 2012. How it was spent and what they found, we'll never know. Immediately after NIDS was pulled, Bigelow Aerospace really began to take off. They began to partner with NASA for the creation of special modules and additions for the intern space station, and they remain currently doing similar projects with NASA. Next, the story of the History Channel coverage of the secrets of the Skinwalker Ranch, right after these sponsor messages. And now, back to our story. The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch is a reality TV series which is beginning to air its fourth season as I write this. It airs on the History Channel, and episodes can be accessed at the History Channel, or on YouTube, 
and on streaming services. The show follows a team of scientists who are actively investigating phenomena which has and is occurring at the Skinwalker Ranch in Utah. The series began filming in March of 2020. I remember doing an episode here a couple years ago called The Curse of Oak Island, which was another very popular History Channel series trying to get to the bottom of the mystery there. This Skinwalker series is produced by the same people who did The Curse of Oak Island, and it's all structured for TV, so it takes some getting used to. Each episode takes on a different approach to solving the mystery, often bringing in a guest with a particular talent or theory. And here, with The Curse of the Skinwalker Ranch, every kind of science is applied in an effort to unravel another mystery of the ranch. Naturally, they throw in all the visual effects they can, because after all, this is TV, and sometimes drama is created between the researchers to pique viewer interest. If you enjoy science of any kind, as well as the hunt to explain previously unexplained anomalies, this is the show for you. First, let me introduce the team, and then I'll give you a great example of how they invite specialist guests in for their episodes. The human spark plug of the show is Dr. Travis Taylor, who handles most of the narration and directs much of what goes on in terms of experiments. As Season 4 begins here in the spring of 2023, Travis returns to the team to share some information which will floor the rest of the crew. Travis reveals to the team that for the past few years, he had been working secretly with a government agency known as UAPTF, which stands for Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, as a chief scientist. The UAPTF is now called the AARO, All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. There's a non-sexy name for you. The All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office now operates within the United States Office of the Secretary of Defense that investigates unidentified flying objects, which they call UAPs today, Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena. What really bothers me is why the government changes the names of its UFO task forces and changes the government offices that house the program. The UAPTF was handled formerly by the Office of Naval Intelligence. Now it has a new name and operates under SECDEF. Why all the cloak and dagger? And why keep changing the names? And what is the all-domain anomaly resolution anyway? So that's what we call swarms of UFOs around our Navy ships now? Anomalies? Anyway... Our government is worried about these so-called anomalies. This we know. But we also know that they dream about being able to capture a UFO and reverse engineer it. In fact, many people believe that they accomplished that with the Roswell UFOs. On April 12, 2021, the Pentagon confirmed the authenticity of pictures and videos gathered by the task force, purportedly showing what appears to be pyramid-shaped objects hovering above the USS Russell in 2019, off the coast of California, with spokeswoman Susan Goff saying, I can confirm that the referenced photos and videos were taken by Navy personnel. The UAPTF has included these incidents in their ongoing examinations. On June 25, 2021, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence released a report on UAPs, commonly known as the Pentagon UFO Report. The report found that the UAPTF was unable to identify 143 of 144 objects spotted between 2004 and 2021. The report said that 18 of these featured unusual movement patterns or flight characteristics, and that more analysis was needed to determine if those sightings represented breakthrough technology. 
the report said that some of these steps are resource-intensive and would require additional investment. The report did not link the sightings to extraterrestrial life, with officials saying, We have no clear indications that there is any non-terrestrial explanation for them, but we will go wherever the data takes us. Cutting to the chase, our Secrets of the Skinwalker Ranch TV personality, Dr. Travis Taylor, was front and center with the UAPTF. And just as in the early days of Project Blue Book, run by the open-minded J. Allen Hynek for a while, there are people in government with different opinions pertaining to unexplainable phenomena, and there always will be. It's human nature. Travis Taylor, as you will learn from the show, has an open mind, like Hynek did, and an inquisitive mind, and he's not afraid to ask questions. It's apparent that open minds, like Dr. Taylor's, and government agencies whose purpose it is to logically define anomalies, do not always mix well. Journalist Keith Clore criticized the involvement of reality TV personality Travis S. Taylor. Pentagon spokesperson Susan Goff confirmed to Clore for an article on Science Insider, the online news section of the AAAS, that Taylor had a leading role on the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force and was informally referred to as its chief scientist. Clore characterized Taylor as a researcher who believes in the supernatural, like that's a crime. Clore wrote that critics are simply astonished by what they call his anti-scientific embrace of the supernatural and the Pentagon's willingness to work with them. According to skeptic and science writer Robert Schaefer, I'm starting to see why the government's task force was so unsuccessful in identifying its UAPs. So here we are again, skeptics affecting the investigation of, yes, I'll use the old word, UFOs. Nothing has changed since the early 50s, it appears, and we go round and round again. So while the U.S. government is studying anomalies, Travis is back to Skinwalker Ranch, working with the old team to try and find answers to what's been going on in the Uintah Basin all these years, and especially around the Skinwalker Ranch. And just so you know it, Travis Taylor is no lightweight. He earned a B.S. in electrical engineering from Auburn University in 1991, then went on to the University of Alabama at Huntsville, where he earned an M.S. in physics in 1994, a Ph.D. in optical science and engineering in 1999, and an M.S.E. in mechanical and aerospace engineering in 2001. And he wasn't done yet. He then completed an M.S. in astronomy in 2004 at the University of Western Sydney, before earning a second Ph.D. from University of Alabama Huntsville in aerospace engineering in 2012. He then worked for U.S. Defense and NASA for over 16 years. He's also the principal research scientist at Radiance Technologies. Here is the team he works with at Skinwalker Ranch. I've kept up with the show, and the team makes an interesting bunch, bringing familiarity with the ranch as well as specific skills that round out the investigative force. We'll start with Bryant Dragon Arnold, security chief. More commonly known as Dragon, Bryant Arnold is the head of security at Skinwalker Ranch. Having known owner Brandon Fugel for over 25 years, he is trusted with protecting the ranch as well as ensuring safety for the investigators through every step of the process. His opinions are highly valued, and his background as a licensed, armed, private security officer qualifies him to keep the property and everyone on it safe. As the voice of caution, he often provides the balance to Travis, whose scientific curiosity 
sometimes gets the better of him. Then there's Thomas Winterton, superintendent of Skinwalker Ranch, who manages facilities, equipment, and maintenance of the property. He assists in the investigations and has unique insight based on first-hand experience with the unsettling paranormal activity that occurs there. Prior to the start of the series, Winterton developed a serious head injury while on the ranch that could have killed him, the cause of which is still unknown and of vital importance in the context of the investigation. He has a slight reoccurrence of the issue in Season 1, which means both he and the team are ultra-cautious when it comes to his safety. Then there's Eric Bard, the team's principal investigator and chief scientist. He is a physicist who has worked with owner Fugel on other scientific projects over the last decade. He leads the team's investigations into the unknown, most significantly with his advanced surveillance system he installed across the ranch. While Travis is usually the scientist thinking up new tests and experiments to run, and most often out in the field, Eric Bard mans the operation from their base and keeps all the important equipment running. Jim Morse is the manager of Skinwalker Ranch. He's an entrepreneur and has a background in real estate development. Jim is less hands-on than the rest of the team in the day-to-day investigations on the ranch. However, his contribution involves bringing in outside experts and consultants when the team needs specialists to explain the paranormal activity. Perhaps his greatest value to the team is his connection to the Native American community in the area, whose insight is crucial in investigating the strange phenomena. Then there's Candace Lind and Tom Lewis, who are the caretakers of Skinwalker Ranch. While the team is there seasonally, they're there year-round. Lind, an anthropologist, and Lewis, a technologist, live on the ranch and tend to the livestock. They monitor the activity of cattle and some exotic animals they've kept on the ranch, which is an extensive and extremely important role, as the animals are monitored closely. Here's a great post written in May of 2020 by Russ Nelson for the University of Alabama at Huntsville. Travis's alma mater, which goes a long way to explain how many of these episodes invite a scientific team to perform a specific experiment to answer a specific question. All you need to do is get used to Travis being called Dr. Taylor, and you'll do fine here. By the way, the University of Alabama at Huntsville sounds like a pretty solid outfit, and one that supports its alumni. The article reads, Two intrepid explorers from the University of Alabama in Huntsville UAH, Matt Turner, who holds a doctorate in mechanical engineering, and aerospace engineering graduate Caitlin Russell, visited an extraordinary place last summer to perform experiments for a research team participating in a TV docuseries called The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch. The name of the place alone conjures up creepy thrills for dedicated fans of the paranormal. Situated in northeastern Utah, this 512-acre parcel of picturesque desolation is famed as a hotspot for everything from poltergeist phenomena and crop circles to UFO sightings, dangerous electromagnetic forces, dancing fireballs, and cattle mutilations. If that's not enough, the ranch is also said to be cursed by an ancient Navajo spell that summons terrifying werewolf-like shapeshifters called skinwalkers to menace interlopers. Featuring University of Huntsville Ph.D. aerospace engineer and astrophysicist and TV veteran Dr. Travis Taylor, The program is produced by Prometheus Entertainment and airs on the History Channel Tuesday evenings at 9 p.m. CST. The billionaire Brandon Fugel has been investigating the ranch since he bought it in 2016, Dr. Taylor says. 
his first three years was a plan of observation only. When he decided to move to the next phase, he asked the History Channel what that should be. History asked Prometheus, who produces the Curse of Oak Island, Ancient Aliens, the Unexplained, the Tesla Files, and others, for the History Channel to talk with Mr. Fugel about next steps. Prometheus knew me from those other efforts, and had me come meet with Mr. Fugel and the team. They were very intrigued by the ideas I brought to them, although maybe nervous in becoming active with the ranch, rather than just observing. And in the end, they asked me to come in and lead a new phase of research. Given his UAH background, it was natural for Dr. Taylor to look to homegrown expertise for help when it came to investigating Skinwalker Ranch. Caitlin is an employee that works on my space efforts also, he says. I've seen her work for a couple years now, and I'm impressed with her enthusiasm and academic rigor. The particular expertise Dr. Turner brings to the show is in ballooning, while Russell brings a wealth of experience in amateur rocketry. To avoid audience spoilers, the precise details of their stays on the ranch are a closely guarded secret protected by a non-disclosure agreement. In general, they involved measuring the bizarre electromagnetic anomalies that plague the property. I've known Travis for 20 years, Dr. Turner says. We had grad school classes together at UAH. He wanted to do some testing out there that he couldn't do by himself. That's how it evolved. I've never launched a rocket. They don't trust me with propellants, he says, laughing. That's Caitlin's thing. But I've launched a couple hundred balloons. That's what I did. And then Caitlin came after me and launched her rockets. I asked a room full of undergrad and grad students if they'd be interested in designing and building rockets for some experiments, Dr. Taylor adds. And Caitlin is the one who took the initiative and did it. And she did a great job. Caitlin said, While I was a student at UAH, I got into rocketry. Not just the smaller kit rockets, but the ones you take out for certification. We did small model rocket type things on the ranch, but they were heavily modified. I didn't provide the instrument part. I just provided the ride. Dr. Taylor knew from personal experience that his two colleagues would be walking into a truly unique setting that could present serious challenges to the investigators, including potentially perilous conditions. I was excited to offer them an opportunity to get to see the very guarded location and what might be experienced there, he said. I was also a bit apprehensive and nervous, as the place could be quite dangerous. I warned them as best I could. But until you are there and exposed to the place, you truly don't take the warning seriously. I didn't. Believe me, I do now. Both of the new investigators did their best to prepare for operating in a place with such a foreboding reputation. I started doing some research, Dr. Turner says, and then actually made a conscious decision to stop because I wanted to make a measurement without any kind of preconceived notion about the results. I was expecting this very medieval-type thing, he goes on, making a spooky Twilight Zone noise and chuckling. And when I got out there, they had trailers for television crews and stuff. It was very businesslike. I mean, it was a ranch, so there was dirt and animals, but it was not as mystical as I anticipated. Russell agreed. I expected it to be creepier, she said. I had never been in that area of the country. I was just taking in the sights, saying... Oh, that's cool. I want to go walk on the mesa. I'd never done anything like this before, and the whole TV crew thing was very new to me. For the TV novices, filming proved challenging, with a tightly packed schedule of activities. 
though like the underwater portion of an iceberg, most of the footage will never be seen. My first day alone, we were outside doing stuff for a good ten hours, Dr. Turner says. It was probably like two and a half total days of filming. They got hours and hours of footage that I'm sure they didn't use. There were multiple cameras working the whole time. It was all unique and kind of surreal. Both investigators had to adapt on the fly when adjustments were needed in a hurry. The stuff I did dovetails into stuff Caitlin did, Dr. Turner says. What Caitlin did is much more complex. She needed more time to prepare, and there was more hardware as well. Discussing what it was like to be on camera while trying to do the science, she grinned, saying, I'm still stressed. What's it going to look like? What are they going to put in there? Dr. Turner had his own qualms about being under the constant watchful eye of the TV lens. Absolutely. It was very intimidating and nerve-wracking, he says. There were several times where they would say, let's do this, or measure that, or let's change this, or do that. And you're like, okay, I've got to change everything about this payload now, and we're out here in the middle of nowhere. Having 50 people looking at you with cameras the whole time, and knowing this is costing money while you're doing it, is just asking you to sweat. Dr. Taylor offers a more seasoned perspective. I'm used to the cameras now, as I've done this type of experiment for years, he explains but it does put a bit of pressure on you to be successful. Both of the newcomers appreciated having a friend who was also a TV veteran on the scene to lean on and enthusiastically power them over any bumps in the road. It was always a crazy ride with Travis, Dr. Turner adds. We've worked with him professionally at UAH for years. He's data-driven, which is why you've got to be on your toes. If something anomalous happens, you've got to say, let's figure this out and you've got to be able to change gears on the fly, which is good, and I'm sure it's great TV, because Travis is very inquisitive. But sometimes you're like, ah, I don't have all my stuff. I'm not ready to take that measurement, he says, laughing. So it's always that kind of a ride. Asked if he sensed anything otherworldly at work, he says, I had something occur with a sensor that has never happened before or since, so that was strange and has yet to be explained. I'm an engineer. If I can't measure it, if I can't see it, then prove it to me. But something happened out there that's never happened before. Russell hints her visit produced chilling surprises as well. We had like two things happen, she says. One of them happened multiple times. But yeah, there was some weird stuff, and I can't explain it. Dr. Taylor has seen enough of these mishaps and oddities to convince him something truly uncanny whether curses or cosmic forces, is afoot on the property. In some cases, it was because the ranch affected the camera equipment and caused them to fail, he says. I know that's hard to believe, but it happens all the time out there for no reason. No reason we've been able to find yet. Just ask Matt where that balloon went once it reached a mile high. As far as we can tell, it just disappeared. In describing her brush with the eeriness of Skinwalker Ranch, Caitlin Russell offers yet another take. Ours wasn't reading-based. It was like stuff we visually saw that I couldn't explain, she says. I don't know if one of them was captured on film. It happened really quickly. Do the UAH colleagues ever fear for their safety? Not any more than being in southern Tennessee or northern Alabama out in the woods, Dr. Turner says. We had a mishap with a balloon where we were separated from it and had to try and cross streams, but I never really thought I was in danger. 
Russell finds that kind of thing exciting. But my sense of danger isn't like... It's not really regular, she says, laughing. I'll go skydiving. I like scuba diving, caving. I like exploring. She fires off rockets a lot, so she's got a high bar, Dr. Turner says with a smile. Would either one of them ever do it again? I'd love to go back, Dr. Turner says. It's a beautiful area. It was fun. It was hectic. I don't know if I could do it as much as Travis. They work insane hours, but I really like being outdoors. And Russell agreed. It would be neat to go back and see more, but when it comes to future TV stardom, she has certain stipulations. I prefer shows like that where it's mostly science-based. I am no actor. Viewers of the show, as well as owner Brandon Fugel, who only visits randomly for updates, have all been witnesses to paranormal activity, UFOs, and unexplained cattle deaths. Brandon Fugel related, Six months into our investigation, I had an experience while entertaining a visiting dignitary in a security detail that involved an undeniable sighting of what can only be described as a 40 to 50 foot long silver, grayish, disc-like object that performed maneuvers that were stunning and defy conventional explanation. Fugel stressed that this sighting was in broad daylight and included several witnesses. He says, after the sighting, they continued to experience paranormal phenomena. During that same afternoon, we experienced everything from our smartphones being completely drained from about 80% charged to zero, to other electromagnetic anomalies, even acute medical episodes that attended the incidents that occurred on that fateful day. As an aside, anyone who watches The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch will know that many of those who investigate the ranch have had personal experiences with the unknown. In addition, they and their spouses have been treated to what is called the hitchhiker phenomenon, meaning that after visiting the ranch, they find themselves witnessing similar phenomenon, especially electrical, from afar. The show's viewers are treated to an unusual death of a cow, unusual in that an unidentified object was filmed by a security camera as hovering over the cow for some time until it dropped dead. Travis Taylor was subjected to radioactive poisoning when he removed a well cover located behind an old shack. Pieces of metal of the same type we used to armor our NASA rockets were pulled out of a drill bit which was trying to horizontally probe what appears to be a large dome-shaped object beneath the ranch soil. All kinds of electrical interference, especially with tools and machines which were being used for the purpose of digging into the soil at Skinwalker Ranch. UFOs have been spotted and filmed many times, including one which disappeared into some sort of vortex. The team has filmed strange orbs. Hopefully we'll get a report one day titled, What We've Learned at Skinwalker Ranch and Where Do We Go From Here? One creative person has already suggested that Brandon Fugel is really just an alien who has been toying with the research team all this time. <laughs> Until that happens, everyone, thanks for joining us here at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries for another journey into the unknown. As mentioned before, I've relabeled two previous episodes dealing with UFOs and cattle mutilations as UFO Trilogy 2 and UFO Trilogy 3. If you search UFO Trilogy at 1001 Heroes at your host, you'll find them. Thank you so very much for joining us today. We'll return next Sunday afternoon at noon Eastern Time with a brand new episode. Until then, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.